Hi there, I'm Garrett McCaffrey, joined today by the head coach of the University of Houston, Tanika Jamison, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Thank you so much for making time today. How's it going down in Houston? It's good. It's a balmy 55 degrees. So, In, in yeah. Seattle, we call that spring. We love it. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I kind of want to take it back um, and start from the very beginning because I know you. We've known each other since back in, I feel like, 2009, 2010 time, early Texas A&M, even maybe Pittsburgh days when I was working on the journalism side more consistently and you were just getting into college coaching. But um, even with a little research, I still like have a bunch of questions on, um, on just your background. So I guess I kind of sure. want to know what, what it was like um, growing up as a club swimmer in the 90s who was fast um, and also was black. Well, it, it definitely was a challenge, not going to lie. Um, the whole reason behind of how I even started swimming is, you know, my older sister um, almost gone at a pool party and my mom wanted us to become water safe and so we took a learn to swim program uh, my older sister enjoyed it so much that she joined the swim team i have a twin sister as well and we enjoyed playing in the water more so than listening to the to the teacher or instructor and we actually failed our learn to swim program um and being a, coming from a single parent home my mom couldn't keep an eye on my older sister nor my twin sister and i who had a lot of energy were running in and out of the locker rooms and on the basketball court so she begged the the coaches to give us another shot and the rest is history. But, um, you know, living in the state of Pennsylvania, I mean, there was definitely some, um, you know, you could definitely feel the racial division. Uh, it was not heard of to, to have, you know, black swimmers, especially three from the same family and, and who actually did really well. Um, you know, we had the nickname of, you know, that we were rocks because when we would dive in at the beginning, we would sink to the bottom. Uh, and, and eventually we learned how to, to improve our technique and, um, and, and we got better over time. And, um, you know, it, it was a great experience living in Pennsylvania. Then we moved out to California uh, from middle school through high school. And, you know, swimming outdoors was a lot of fun. I was tan all year round. I kind of missed that. Um, but, you know, I had, I had great success. Uh, I was the only one in my family that continued with the sport through high school and going to college. Um, and be able to be on national junior teams, competing at nationals, junior nationals, um, being on a senior national winning program. I mean, I had a lot of success. I was very fortunate for the coaches that and teammates that I was able to, to compete with. Um, and then that led me to the University of Texas uh, from 99 to 2003 and had a lot of great success working uh, with my teammates and then my head coach, Jill Circle, who is still a good and dear friend and mentor to me to this day. And one of the main reasons why I am, I am an excellent coach and, and the love that I have for teaching and, and motivating and, and, and really trying to build something uh, positive within our sport. Um, had a pretty successful collegiate career. Um, went pro in, in 2004, just missed out making it the Olympic team in 2004. And Wanted to give another shot in 2008, and then 2009 came around. I had to make a decision of, do I want to really focus on 2012 or really grow up and get a big girl job? And that's how I started coaching. So, 
That's right. You're you were competing, and I couldn't remember correctly, but that's when I first met you. You were still competing, and I kind of want to start. That was a great, you know, arc through the the swimming career, but I kind of want to dive in a little bit deeper because um, you were a really successful swimmer. At what point did you realize you were fast and that you could be great at this sport? I would say about a year or so into um, joining the swim team. Like I said, we we were at the very bottom and we worked our way up. And um, you know, I think it was like the eight and under age group, nine and ten age group where. My sister and I were either going one, two in all of our events. And that's kind of when we understood that maybe we had something special there. And obviously we had a lot of support from my mom, um, from my grandparents and my family members and just encouraging us and, um, you know, really giving us the opportunity to, to be successful and thrive. Now, obviously when you're young and, and you watch the Olympics on TV, you're like, well, maybe one day I can be there. Um, and, you know, I had, I had a mom who, who believed that I could. And, you know, she did not let that dream uh, fizzle. She in, encouraged us. She motivated us. And, you know, she's a, a big reason of why I continue with the sport and why I'm here today. Yeah. And you almost were an Olympian. And, yeah. you know, it also lit the passion that still continues to drive you, you know, as a coach mm -hmm. around the pool today. But um, still, as the swimmer, let's keep diving in because that's I, I want to keep sure. making sure that we, we understand who Tanika was before she became a coach, too. What would Jill... Uh, say about you as a swimmer how would she describe you as far as <laughs> practice mentality race mentality technique work like as a coach now really give an honest answer how would jill describe you as a swimmer i i would think that she was probably frustrated with me i'm not gonna lie i mean i i was very headstrong i was a very shy person um i think she would agree that our recruiting calls were, were pretty painful because i did not i would do one one word answers you know to her questions um, obviously that has changed over time, but you know, I, I really, I worked hard. I worked hard from warm up to warm down was one of the first ones in the pool. First one to finish warm up, um, you know, encouraging, I say as a coach, we're probably aggravating some of my teammates to, to, to really be, to do better. Right. And try to bring my teammates along, especially my freshman year of just being so naive and, um, just thinking that I can do whatever, right? That, and obviously, there's that hierarchy, right? You're a freshman, and you, you have to listen to those seniors, and you have to find your own path. But um, I was just one of those athletes that was going to give it my all. And I had a goal for myself. Um, I was going into 2000, and, you know, like I said, everyone thought that – everyone thinks that they can make an Olympic team, not really knowing how hard it actually is um, until you get there. And so that was, that was my passion. And then um, I, I, that's just how I trained from club all the way through college every day I gave him my very all um technique I, I improved technique obviously over my collegiate years and as a professional looking back there are a lot of things that I could have improved whether it was um you know taking that extra time to work on those small details of underwaters of uh turns of pace of whatever it may be now that I focus on with my athletes um on a daily basis I'm sure that there were some struggles because I'm sure Jill saw some more talent than what I actually produced when I was uh, in her program. But, you know, obviously if I, without that, um, I would not be here. Like if I would have made the Olympic team, who knows if I would have became a coach, right? So everything happens for a reason. And um, I, I would hope today that she would say that she's proud of, of who I've become um, and, and how I'm leading my team. 
Take us through being a pro swimmer in the early 2000s. I mean, it's become more common now. Right. It's, it's something hopefully you're proud of for being a pioneer in that. But what was it like in the early 2000s? You know, the, it, it really was not a big thing for people to do, right? Like nowadays you, you have the ISL where you can actually make money. Um, and back then, <clears throat> excuse me, it was very rare. Uh, to have athletes who <clears throat> continued, excuse me, who continued on with the career. Um, they decided to get real jobs because there wasn't a lot of money out there. And you really had to have the passion for it. Now, when I turned pro, it was one year going into the Olympics. So it wasn't that big of a deal to continue to train for the next 12 months. Um, but if you had an athlete who had another three years to go, it, it was a challenge. You had to work. Uh, for most people, uh, the money was only for the national team members at that time. Um, you had to have a certain world ranking to, you know, actually get insurance from USA Swimming. So there's a, there was a lot of uh, things that kind of held people back from continuing their dreams. Um, thankfully, I was in a position where I was able to receive sponsorships um, from a, for a couple of companies uh, that helped me continue my path and my dream towards um, my hopefully overall goal is to make the Olympic team. Um, I was able to travel around the country to do motivational speaking, um, to do some modeling on the side. Uh, 2006, we were able to, to do a movie. So just different opportunities that came up um, that afforded me the opportunity to continue the, the sport that I loved and, um, and, and really had that push and drive towards uh, accomplishing my goal. And Today, now it's, you know, everyone goes, not everyone, but the, the majority of top athletes will, will continue to swim because there are those opportunities to swim in the ISL, to um, make money at the, you know, various meets that are around our country, around the world. So there, there are just more opportunities for them. Um, had this been around during my time, who knows how many of the athletes would have continued to compete. So um, it's just a different, it's just a different era, uh, different, different time. And I'm thankful for, for my time and, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future for, of swimming and, and going internationally and, you know, being able to represent until you're in your forties. I mean, that like who would have said that, you know, over a decade ago that you can continue swimming until you're 40. Um, so it, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to, to witness now. Yeah. Was, was that your dream while you were kind of going through college is to be a pro swimmer or did you start to think about coaching at that point or was there something else on the horizon for you? I, I think looking back, I think I was so driven by my goal um, that it was, you know, that was the only thing to do. Like if I wanted to be the Olympian that I told myself I could be when I was you know, eight, 10 years old, I had to continue to swim. Um, I found myself in the, la the latter years, like probably 2007, through 2009, even a little bit of 2005 and 2006, um, of really um, taking the time to help my teammates um, alongside the coaching staff and, you know, helping my teammates with technique and um, just sharing wisdom that I had when I was their age and what I wish I would have learned or knew at that time and just trying to help them be the best they could be. And then it, it just kind of just unraveled and, and unfolded from there that, you know, maybe this could be something that I can be successful at. I mean, I have a degree in education, so why not? Um, and, you know, like I said, I had a, a great role model in, in Jill and she, she was a really big part of, like I said, my decision of becoming 
a collegiate coach. And I tell my girls all the time is, you know, part of the reason why I became a coach is because there were a lot of regrets that I have for my individual career. And it wasn't like it was a bad regret, but as I don't want my athletes to go through those regrets. So I'm a real stickler on, you know, the small details of technique or turns or whatever it may be that's going to separate them from their opponents. And so I use, you know, I use my time as a, as a student athlete and as a professional athlete um, to really kind of set the foundation of who I wanted to be as a coach and how I wanted to coach. How was it getting into coaching, the process, like looking for jobs, applying for jobs, um, you know, getting ultimately some good positions, but how was that right. process? Um, I think for me, it was a, a little, um, it was a little, the path was, was kind of set, right? I was, the job that, my first job was at the University of Pittsburgh. It was pretty late in the season when I was hired where they were looking for someone to join right away. And I had just finished my last competition, didn't know what I was going to do, um, whether I was going to continue to compete or not. And I was said, well, let me just, let me just put in my name because it's back in, in, you know, the state that I'm from. My grandfather lived there. I was like, how cool would that be to start my first job at, at, in Pittsburgh? So, um, you know, I, I reached out and interviewed well, and, and the rest is history there. And then, you know, living in Pittsburgh, you know, as a kid, winters are great. As an adult, not so much. I'm not a big fan of, of snow. I'm definitely a warm-bodied person. Um, and so during my time at the University of Pittsburgh, obviously that was a time where I was building my, um, you know, how I wanted to coach, learning from the coaching staff there, learning about the process of being a Division I um, coach and, and how I wanted to use that and move forward. And then the position at Texas A&M opened up in 2011, and I put my name in the hat, and thankfully Steve gave me that opportunity, and I was there for a decade. So um, it, it, the, so that's not the normal path for most people. Um, I think because of my swimming background, I was given um, kind of that, that leg up at, for my first position and then mix that with my coaching ability and then mix that with my swimming abilities, I was able to move to a, a Power 5 program. I mean, absolutely, with your coaching background, a.k.a. your coaching or your swimming background, also your swimming experience. That's a lot of experience. You kind of laid out all the ways that you can connect with athletes because you've been through so many mm -hmm. of those different scenarios. How would your athletes describe you early in your coaching assistant career? I mean, and obviously that's, you know, partly role and partly, you know, youth and energy but how would your how would your athletes describe you at Pittsburgh or early on at A&M? Um I, I think at Pittsburgh it was you know the first year I was very quiet um just like you know my first year in college like it, it was just a learning experience I was, there was a lot to take in um there was a lot to learn about you know how they ran their program um the group that I was coaching I was coaching mid-distance at the time which was right in my wheelhouse because I was a mid-distance swimmer. Um, so it was really an opportunity there for me to learn um, and kind of mix in the background that I have as, as an athlete. And I also had the opportunity to coach the club team. So it was a twofer, right? So I coached a collegiate team and I coached a club team. So, um, you know, Just those to athletes. Clarify, you got full, you got to write like the training and stuff for that mid D group too. Like you got, Right off the bat, that uh, that kind of leeway. No, okay. no. Um, I the the coach that was over that group, I was basically um, learning from him. Uh, his name was Jeff Berghoff, and 
he he was a seasoned coach. Uh, he knew his stuff. He taught me a lot of things I had no idea about of how to write sets, you know, energy systems, all that stuff um, that I just kind of took for granted and just did what the coach asked. So so he was a really good teacher in that to, to really teach me how to design a season, how to, um, you know, how to pace, how to, you know, do negative split, like all these different things that you just take for granted now as a coach of over 12 years. Um, I was really raw at that time. And then um, when I was coaching the club team, I mean, they're young. You really can't fail at a club pro at club swimming. You just have to make sure that, you know, they're getting the yards that they need, um, hitting the energy systems that they need, but, you know, they're going to, they're going to be able to go a lot longer than some of the collegiate athletes because their schedules are just a little bit different and they're not doing as much, but um, it was not as pressure filled um, because I feel like I just had free reign. And so I was using the, knowledge that I that I had from swimming on the club team two years prior uh, to, to joining Pitt and use that uh, for my club swimmers and we had some pretty good success but I think going back to the original question I think the athletes at that time they probably would describe me as being shy um, but also you know challenging them to be better I mean and do their best I and mean, that's how I am now and, you know I want my athletes to, to reach their full potential um, whether they're an A swimmer up to an Olympian. Like it doesn't matter. You're, you're an athlete. You're here under my guidance and I'm going to push you as hard as I can to be the best that you can, because I don't want you to leave my program and regret or ha look back and say, I could have done more. So that, that's, that's who I've always been. I've always been a, a coach that tries to get the best out of each and every athlete and learning, you know, who can, who can I push in certain ways? Who can I not um, learning the personalities, that kind of stuff was, was pretty easy for me because I was, you know, swam for however many years before that. Um, you, you learn people. You learn who, who, who is able to go hard and who, is, who needs a little bit more pushing in, in the background. So, Were there any foundational training philosophies that were taking root early on in those, those days and things that you still to this day maybe, or even things that you've come off of and changed, but were there any foundational just to get a sense of what you believe in as far as training? That's a great question because obviously my coaching has evolved over the years. Um, I think that the main foundation that at the beginning was just really learning about, you know, how to coach swimmers and how to develop swimmers. Um, and then over time, then you start, you know, talking to other coaches, see what they do. Um, look at other programs, see what they're doing, and then incorporating that. And so you make your own kind of set plan for for your team. Um, I, I guess the foundation that, that I've always had is that I am a learner and I, I am willing to learn. I am coachable. Um, tell me what I'm doing wrong. How can I be better? Because um, it's not about me. It's about getting the best out of my, out of my athletes. So I, I've always been that type of person that, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can be better in the future. In your time at Texas A&M, like you said, you had a good uh, tenure or close stretch there. Um, how did the program change and how did your role kind of change with it and some of that development that happened? I mean, I don't want to do a montage of this long period because it was such a foundational and I'm sure very, mm -hmm. you know, influential period. I want to dive into what makes Steve great and stuff, but just from a cultural standpoint, how did the program develop 
And how did your role change while it did? My first year was our last year in the Big 12. Um, and they, were, they recruited a stud freshman class before I got there. That was, you know, the Camille Adams, the Brie Larson, um, you know, Sarah Henry, you know, some of those, some of those bigger names from our, that came from our program. Um, and so when I came in, I came in with obviously the same type of background of, you know, being in their shoes, you know, swimming in the big 12. So I kind of had that. And then, you know, being a professional athlete was important to some of the athletes. They told me later um, when they left the program. So being able to see them develop um, and helping Steve develop them. Um, I, I think I brought a, a different aspect on my role because I, I was, I lived it, I did it and I did it well. Um, and so I, I believe that came with, um, I don't want to say that, you know, it gave me clout, but it kind of did, right? Like, like I, I, I did, I did exactly what they did or what they are doing. And, you know, you can't get away with a lot of stuff with me because either I've done it, I've seen it. Um, and we're not going to do that. Right. Because I'm not going, I'm not going to, uh, allow you to sell yourself short. Right. So I, I came in as, you know, this is what Steve has planned and this is what we're going to execute. And this is how we're going to execute. And this is how we're going to get better. Um, and, and, get the best of our athletes. And when you really look down to the, you know, the nitty gritty of what it takes to be a successful program is, you know, having the depth in our, in your program, having, um, winning those close races, you know, getting athletes in the A finals or the B finals. So, you know, those small details that I'm a heckler on, it, it really helped. I feel it helped in that sense of, you know, just executing C's plan and then, you know, making sure we're doing those small things that are going to get us the win over our opponent. So um, it wasn't that, you know, we have to win. It was how are we going to be our very best across the entire team? So I think when, he, when I looked at that, my role kind of stayed the same throughout the, my time there. I mean, I went from assistant coach to associate head coach, but, you know, the coach in me stayed the same, right? I, I, I didn't change with the title change. It was I'm going to do my very best to help you know, Steve and it helped this program be successful. And we had a lot of great success, um, you know, being top four, six years in a row, um, having some of the top recruiting classes for the program. Um, but that was a foundation that was laid before me. So I can't take credit for, you know, a lot of it, but I can take credit for where, uh, where we went in that short amount of time in, in helping Steve really develop those athletes. I've heard you say it and I totally believe that it's truth. Your experience as a swimmer comes in as a benefit when it comes to relating to a lot of these top end athletes, you know, specifically those uh, A&M girls that when you first got there and their whole development through college years and into professional swimming, was there ever points where you had to learn that like you can't prevent them from taking all the wrong turns? Cause there's no way. I mean, I know you know all of them, but you can't be right. there all the time for all of them. Was there ever an example of when you kind of said, okay, I, she's just going to have to learn that one on her own and you don't have to get into specifics. Just, you know, as a coach, I know that we'd like to control and make sure that all these variables are taken care of and you know what turns not to take, but you know, we also know that swimmers are individuals and sometimes they need to be on their own path. And no matter how much we tell them not to, they have those kind of tendencies to 
learn the lessons the way that we did, even if we weren't right. not to. Um, was there, uh, this is a long way of just kind of asking, was there any of that? Were there any places where maybe being a professional athlete and knowing all the things that it took made it harder to relate to some of the athletes when they weren't doing everything? The short answer is yes. Um, the, the long answer is, you know, looking back on that time and even, you know, being here at the University of Houston, I mean, everyone's on their own journey and we, it's, you can't get from point A to point B in a straight line. There's going to be hills and dips and divots and you have to be there alongside them. And sometimes you have to let them fail. Um, even if you are continuing to, you know, try to guide them in, in the right direction, they're going to fail and that's okay. You just have to be there when they do and teach them how to, um, to learn from that failure because that's how you really have success, right? Like you can't, I don't think there's a single athlete who has not had any failures in, in their careers. So good coaches are the ones that are there to watch them fail. Um, even whenever you try to alleviate that, um, but be there to pick them up, right? Be there, there to motivate them, be there to, you know, show them where they could be better and then try to help them change. And it's not going to change for some of them over a semester, over a season, over two seasons, but just being there consistently um, and not changing of who you are um, and not changing your expectations is, is how you allow those athletes to fail and then watch them be successful over time. Cool. Love that answer. I, I agree. Like that is kind of the goal, right? Is to, because they are, they're going to fail. Um, mm -hmm. so anyway, how would you describe that's I'd, I'd call that good coaching. And I think everybody who's listening and everybody, you know, you and I both agree that Steve Boltman is a fantastic coach. One of the greatest of all time. What I did agree. he do as, as good or better than everybody else? What's he great at? He is very patient. He is very patient. Um, he, he knows that his program, uh, the way that he writes sets, the way that he sees and plans, he knows that his athletes are going to be successful when they need to be successful. And that was something that he, that I learned from him and I'm implementing with my program. Um, just knowing, just knowing that, you know, some programs, you know, they, they have a big taper at invite. That's not the plan. The plan is at the end of the season, you know, to get those athletes to be successful at conference or NCAAs or wherever, wherever that may be. Um, but trust the process. That's the main thing. And a lot of our athletes and a lot of our success came from them just trusting the process. And that's something that we, we try to instill here at the University of Houston, just trust, trust what we are doing. Um, you may not see what we see, but we know that we're going in the right direction. And that's a lot um, to say from athletes, right? If, if you believe in what your coaches are doing, if you can see the confidence that your coaches have and what they are um, trying to instill, then that gives our athletes confidence when they step up on the block. Now, we can't guarantee that they're going to be successful, but I, our athletes knew at A&M and my athletes know here that we have done our very best and have given them the platform to be as successful as they can be that, during that season, and we keep building from there. So it's, I, that was one of the things I, I loved about Steve is it's learning how patient he was um, and not getting, you know, too high or too low, um, where I was just like kind of all over the place at, at the first couple of years, 
Um, but then, you know, I started to trust and see that, yeah, we are going to be successful. It doesn't, it does not matter how they look right now. We're, our main goal is that they're going to be successful when they're supposed to be successful. And we had a lot of success with that. So transitioning into your role now at University of Houston, and I'd kind of like to talk about that process and what it was like when you started looking for head coaching jobs. But just to piggyback on what you just said about Steve's patience and the things that you learned about Steve, what he's created at A&M is stability. And there is like some consistent stability that is pretty rare in our sport period at any mm -hmm. team, collegiate or club level. And no matter where you were going to next, because you were bound to be a head coach with all of your experience and successes and, and because people need you to be a head coach, it was going to be a transition, which is not mm -hmm. stability. So patience is obviously a great one to learn, but is that partly hindsight looking back now and being like, okay, now that I've transitioned, which I'm just assuming, I don't know for a fact, but it's, there, it's had to be, you know, change is hard, you know, change is hard. And when you've had consistency of a program and a head coach that's been there for a long time, and now you're starting over at a program where you're in the first year as a coaching staff and a head coach, mm -hmm. um, how have you leaned back on some of those lessons from Steve to help you in this first year at University of Houston? It's a really great question. Um, obviously, you know, that, that first week or two weeks, you're learning about a lot of things that you, that I had absolutely no idea that Steve did in the background. There's a, there's a lot of um, administration work that I had absolutely no idea, right? So that was that was a big transition. And then when it came to the summer, I only had a, a eight girls or so in the summer. So so me transitioning to the head coaching role over the summer was actually really good for me. Um, you know, moving, I'm a single mom. So moving to a city where, you know, my mom and my stepdad and my sister live um, was, was a true blessing for, for my, my, my daughter um, and for me to continue to grow professionally. So there was a lot of, of stress with that of moving, you know, a two-year-old child to a different city, trying to find a house in the worst housing market to buy a house, um, living 35 to over an hour away, just depending on traffic from the university. You know, that in itself was hard. But then, you know, come fall and hiring my assistant, Alan, that took a lot of stress off, right? Because I was doing everything on my own until I had my assistant coach here. And when we started the season, obviously you have a lot of excitement because it's new. Um, you're, you're getting to learn all this, the, the athletes on your team, um, you know, teaching them of who you are, where you want this program to go, um, setting your non-negotiables, um, all of that. And then just trying to watch it just play itself out, right? Because they're getting used to our new style, we're getting used to how, you know, they train with whether they're this former, the like former coach or from the former club coaches. Um, everyone comes from a different background. So trying to meld all those backgrounds and cultures together, it takes time. You know, this is only month, what, seven or eight um, that we've been in our season. So we've seen progress. And that's the main thing is, is and showing our athletes that there is progress. Um, and, you know, watching them grow together and work together and, um, you know, hold each other accountable and really work towards their, their team goals. I mean, it's been phenomenal, especially these last two or three weeks of just watching the team come together and starting to see some new fresh faces with our, our taper arriving uh, with conference starting next week. And, you know, just seeing them come together as a team, it, it's been, we're, we're excited about next week. 
Um, but yeah, patience. I've definitely had to use that. I've called Steve a few times and, and talked to him a bit. I've reached out to a lot of um, of my contacts, of my mentors, um, whether it was Jill or or Kathy or just a lot of people that I trust that will tell me the truth um, and you know that I can bounce ideas off of them. So it, it's been it's been a good ride and and I'm excited for where we're going. But I'm definitely excited for where we're going next week and and watching all their hard work pay off. You said when you transitioned from assistant coach at A&M to associate head coach at A&M, you were able to transition with, without changing as a, as a person. And um, I, I believe that, and that has to be a conscious choice. But again, with the stability at A&M, it was a little easier to do that. You were in the same place with the same coach. Still, right. So it was able to do that. Were you able to hold on to the pieces that you wanted to hold on to? Because when you're, becoming the head coach, you just, like you said, you have more responsibility. There are different things. And as opposed to being the, the learner that you were describing yourself as early on, which I think is still a healthy head coaching mentality if it's done appropriately, but there's not enough room for just that. You also have to be a decider and you also have to be a leader. So were you able to hold on to the things and you know, the good news is it's a new set of athletes. So your athletes can't say, wow, Tanika really changed. But to yourself, if you're looking at, you know, how you've transitioned from your role at A&M to how you are now as a head coach, would you say you've changed? That's a great question. Um, I don't think I've changed who I am as a person. Um, you know, I am, I, I, I've been the same. I will tell you how it is. I don't sugarcoat a lot of things. Um, I, I believe in telling the truth. I believe in owning up to my mistakes. Uh, and I'm very open with that. And I was the same way at Texas A&M. So in that sense, I've, I've been kind of, you know, stable. And that has not changed. I think with the new hat of being the head coach and having more responsibilities and making those tough decisions. Yeah, I, I think in that sense, I, I've had to adapt. and I've had to, um, to change some of, of the leadership skills that one, I, I may not have known I even had. Um, or, or two, just really kind of go back to, you know, I, I, I had a pretty tough 2019, 20 and 21 going into this new position, just personal stuff. Um, and so I feel like the, the things that happened during that time has definitely prepared me for this and, and has given me strength and I'm able to, um, use that strength when it comes to making those tough decisions, right? Because this is as an assistant, as an associate head, you know, that, your role is to help. Um, but then as a head coach, if the athlete is successful or unsuccessful, that's on the head coach. Right. So, um, and I'm the kind of person that, you know, if, if we win, if we lose, I'm okay with that, but it's because I've had, you know, some instances in my, in my lifetime that has prepared me for that and has, has given me the strength for whatever may come. I'm not afraid for failure and I'm not afraid for a great success. I, I think that I'm kind of even kill in that, that no matter what, I'm still going to be who I am as a person. And I'm still going to lead the way that I feel is best for me to help lead my team, um, good or bad. And every season, just at my last job, we, we would you know have end of season meetings and learn what the girls thought. And I plan on doing that here because as a head coach, if you think that you know everything, you, you may want to get out of the sport because, because you, you are consistently learning, right? You're learning um, new ways to coach. You're learning new sets. You're learning new, um, new 
how to get different, get more out of all of our athletes, not just, you know, just select few, but all of the athletes. And how do you incorporate nutrition? How do you incorporate um, sports performance? How do you incorporate mental health, right? Because mental health is, is very important right now, especially with COVID, you know, coming out of, well, I guess we're still in COVID, but, you know, the early stages of COVID, there were no guarantees that we would even have seasons, that we even start swimming again. Um, and then we have a season without classes and now we're in class. So there's just a lot that you have to adapt with. Um, and, and because, like I said, because of the, the former years, my 2019, 20 and, and 21, I've been able to adapt, hopefully my athletes will stay pretty well. One of the other transitions that's kind of happening and it has been hopefully and with, it's still too late, but it, I'm glad that it's happening is a better representation of diversity in our profession as coaches um, and your great example of how that is changing. But, um, you, you know, like having someone like Jill, even as a female representative on deck was unique and mm -hmm. like, I'm hoping and I'm assuming was inspiring to you to be able to see a female, you know, lead a collegiate team like that. Yeah. Uh, how important is that representation and talk a little bit about the network that you alluded to. You said Jill and then you said Kathy. I'm not sure uh, exactly who you're alluding to. Just talk about, you know, how there is that, you know, now almost uh, there, there's more female head coaches coming into mm -hmm. collegiate swimming, into club swimming, into a more of a presence um, as, you know, and rec getting better recognition for their greatness um, as coaches. Uh, that's another one of these transitions that I guess I just want to, want to kind of open up for you to tell me about yes it, it's very rare um even now I mean back in 99 and 2003 I mean having Jill as my head coach um I don't know how many female head coaches were there at that at that time I, I know you know Terry at Berkeley um you had Cindy at UCLA and I'm sure there are a plethora of other coaches around the country but it, a lot of club swimmers had male club coaches. Um, a lot of female collegiate swimmers have male head coaches. Um, that's, just, that's just the facts of it. Um, and it's, it's important um, to have a rep representation. I, I feel that, you know, the reason why I am a coach is because I had a female head coach and, and I saw how she was successful. I, I saw how um, she worked with our team and, and how she was a, a huge motivator for me, you know, knowing her background as an athlete, um, seeing her drive, seeing her passion, seeing, um, you know, how much she cared about us individually, more so than just, you know, who we were as athletes. I mean, that was inspiring. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, having a male head coach is bad, but I do feel that there needs to be uh, more female head coaches, um, whether it's for an all-female program, whether it's for um, a combined program, I, I think representation matters. And I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of female assistant coaches, associate head coaches, but, but what happened, where is that uh, misstep from associate head assistant to head coach? Like where's the divide? Um, where and why do we see less female head coaches? Uh, I don't have an answer for that, but how what I do. doing experience in that transition? Sorry to jump in, but just. That's fine. How was your interviewing experience when you were trying to get that jump to head coaching job? Um, I think I interviewed for maybe two other positions before 
um, I, I received this position. It was in various years. It wasn't the same year. Um, and I, I mean, I was going against male coaches. And it, I, for me, um, I was very happy with being at Texas A&M. I loved the area. I loved um, the team. Um, but I knew that I had something more. And going through the interview process of, you know, knowing that being a female in a male-driven, really, sport for head coaches, um, that, you know, I really had to make sure that I had all my, my references in line, that, I, you know, that I spoke well, that I had a, a defined plan of where I was going to take my program, um, because I didn't want to leave anything for chance and, and forget or miss anything in my interview process. So it's, so it's, you know, just as a student athlete, you have to over-prepare, right? So I over-prepared for um, the positions that I did interview for. Um, and, I, and I felt confident. I felt confident in, in this interviewing cycle because I had a few interviews in the past that I knew what I needed to improve um, for that interview process for this interview process. And um, knowing that it came down to me and another candidate, um, I really had to be on my game because I really wanted this position. I knew that what we have here, we can build something very strong. Um, and I did not want, um, like, as I, just, I just think representation matters. So I really wanted to have, to get this role and to be able to lead my team. Just one, one final question, because I was excited for you and I'm glad you got that role as well. Very and just based on this 45 minutes of diving in deeper um, and getting to know you as a coach, you know, asking questions as a coach, uh, I, the girls are lucky to have you down there. So um, thank you. my last question, and I hope it's a, a good one for your program too, but what have you learned from your team this year? Because you said you, each, each team is different, and I could ask what was your plan when you interviewed or any of those things, but I think the most important thing, you know, and a good definition for where you're at as a program, what have you learned this year from your girls? From your women, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yes, from 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 our, my women. Um, to adapt, right? This year, I, I kind of briefly talked about that. This is the first year for a lot of our girls to be in class again and relearning how to to be in college courses. Our incoming freshmen, you know, it's just a new transition. So just being able to adapt with what is going on because at any moment this could be taken away um you know covid hit again and you know november and december so you just know that any anything can happen so just learning how to adapt and and go with you know the flow because there really is no guarantee but hopefully what what i've learned from them is, is to adapt and what hopefully what they've learned from me is that you know i'm going to be here to continue to push you to motivate you to help you be successful that Alan's going to be here Bob is going to be here to do the same that we are going to be that constant um, vision and, and stable uh, like you talked about stability we're going to be the, the stability within our program I mean we, we're planning on being here for a long time and we're, we're excited for where our program is going to go um, and adapting with each season that comes. Tanika, can't wait to see the, the good things both this season and uh, into the future. I really appreciate your time. And yeah, everybody could definitely learn something from this. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Th thanks for giving us the opportunity. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. 
Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.